G'day, Nigel Moore from the Tech Tribe here, and as you can probably tell from the accent, also from Australia. So I've stolen the microphone from my good friend Richard Tubb and taken over the beginning and end of his podcast to blatantly promote our Tech Tribe. But don't worry, I'm not going to bore you to death with endless details on the features of our product or the technical mumbo jumbo or how long I've been in the industry or blah, blah, blah. Instead, I'll offer you a quick bribe. If you hang around until the end of the episode, which knowing Richard is no doubt going to be a cracker, then I'll let you know some stuff about our tribe and I'll give you some details on a special tub talk only deal complete with steak knives. Well, uh, maybe not the snake knives, but for now, enjoy the heck out of the episode and I'll be back at the end. You're listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners with our featured conversation with Richard Tubb and a panel of IT experts. My name is Jeff Nicholson, and this podcast is all about helping you grow your IT business. In this episode, Richard talks with CompTIA members who own or work with IT businesses about the future of IT. We'll hear the worst business advice they've ever been given, marketing and MSP, the threat or otherwise of AI, and how MSPs need to grow and develop to remain profitable in the future. This episode was recorded live between Richard and the panel at the CompTIA Partner Event in Birmingham. And now, without further ado, here's the panel discussion. So let's take 40 seconds from each of you just to give an introduction who you are, how you help your clients, and a question, what's the worst piece of business advice you've ever been given? <laughs> Like Thanks, Thanks for that. Um, Ian Bickers, uh, Managed Enterprise Technologies based in Birmingham. It's our 20th uh, anniversary this year. So obviously we've seen quite a bit since 1998. Um, what's the worst piece of advice that uh, has ever been given to me? Probably start your own business is probably the worst advice that's ever been given to me. Thanks, Ian. Um, so my name is Janet O'Sullivan, and I suppose my day job is I work with a company called Storagecraft. We do disaster recovery. So, um, well, what, what I would sort of, I see my role as helping our customers, like I, because I always go with the commercial side. Is how do I help our customers make money and, and, and seize the opportunities that are there? I'm trying to think what the worst bit of advice um, I got, and it's quite possibly Richard say, yeah, join the panel, it'll be fine, you know. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tracy Pan, I have a business called Maximity based in Tamworth. Um, our strap line is taking the SH out of IT, and that's pretty much what we do. So it's training, it's business consultancy. It's around how can you make sure that businesses actually take technology and use it properly, because a lot of companies don't. Um, I don't know what the worst piece of business advice is that I've ever been given. I've been given a lot of advice over the years, and I think that's really useful. Um, I think one of the best bits, if I can just turn it on its head and be awkward, um, is to, to trust the people that work with you, to give them the opportunity to have their say and let them do things their way. And as a business owner, that's really quite hard to do. Hello, um, my name is Perry Ashby. I run ARMDR. I'm not, I don't really run much of it, but I'm the owner of a London based MSP called Urban Network. Uh, we've been going, this is our 16th year, so we're, we're still running strong. In terms of worst business advice, um, I'd put it around the sales area, to be honest with you. We're, we're, we're giving advice around sell your products as cheap as you can because that's the way you can grow your business and grow the margin, grow the, the size of the scale of your business. It, that's, Absolutely not the way to go in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's an absolute rest of the so. uh, Hi, as I said earlier, my name is Chris Wall. I uh, own and run a managed service provider based down in Southampton, uh, on the <coughs> South Coast. Um, what we do for our clients is we try to help them uh, through the use of technology, we try to help them to win in their marketplace, whatever that is. Um, uh, I guess traditionally we've spent a lot of our time doing what hopefully, uh, I guess a lot of us have done, which is sort of keeping the lights on, but I think the challenge now is how do we uh, help them win through the more intelligent use of technology and, and maybe some of the stuff that Pete's been talking about this morning was quite, quite interesting for us. Um, probably the worst bit of business advice, I can't think of any specific person that ever told me this, but I think it's more of a general uh, pervasive view uh, amongst you know, business owners and people that are starting businesses, 
is that you've really got to be, you know, manning up and putting in a good sort of 15 to 16 hours a day uh, into your business if you're even going to scratch the surface and, and, and be a proper business owner. And that, and that was uh, that was the worst advice I think that I've ever been given, that, that just working hard uh, is, a, is, a, is a fool's game and just being busy for the sake of being busy, um, but working smart, working intelligently and managing your time uh, for me has, has been, been much better. Super. So tweet me your worst business advice. We're already getting some interesting ones. I'd ask you to keep the profanity to a, a minimum. This is what, if you think you're going to throw me off by tweeting those sort of things to me. Well, good luck. We'll, we'll see what we can do with that. So this conversation was born out of a, I was going to say a Winefield conversation that we had about the future of MSPs. But yeah, tell tell the audience a little bit about that. What do you see as the future of managed services in your view, Chris Wood? So. Um, I guess way so the conversation that, that, that we were you know sort of having last night that sort of sparked some of this was was that I when I look at my own business and like I just mentioned I think that we you know probably for you know let, let's say sort of 20 25 years ago or whatever you know IT service providers were doing a great job of helping businesses innovate by introducing them to, to, to great technologies like email um, which revolutionised their ability to communicate with their clients. And it's really hard to sort of think about that far and away. But we did some revolutionary stuff. And, and so we put a whole bunch of new kit in and, and we sort of took people into the computing age. And then really for the last, I sort of feel like for the last 10 years or so, the job has been very much keeping the lights on. You know, I talk about all the little green LEDs uh, flickering away. It's like the job is keep all of those green. Uh, you know, let's not have any of those amber ones. Uh, and, and that's sort of the job. But... But actually, I think technology is changing, and the LEDs sort of seem to stay on on their own. And in fact, a lot of the LEDs have like disappeared to someone else's data center somewhere, and it's not our job to look at the, the little lights anymore. Um, and uh, and so the, the technology piece, in one sense, is getting easier. But then on the flip side, there's this huge explosion of new technology uh, that, that's, that's that's going on. You know, apps and cloud services and and, and different client devices people could use, and the, you know, and how do we stay abreast of all of that? And, 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 and so the, the crux of the issue for me comes to the point that for our company and our team, our staff team, you know, do we have the skills that we need to be doing the job that the customer wants us to do, which I see as being much more around sort of business enablement rather than just sort of infrastructure management, keeping the lights on. So, um, so that's sort of the, the, the rant that I initiated with. That's sort of the frustration I've arrived at Birmingham with in my company. Uh, and so, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's it. So Chris, you clearly had your staff. Who else hates all that? <laughs> uh, Ian, you know, the staff that you've got at the moment, are they gonna see you through for the next 10 years? Well, like I just said, that uh, we've been running now for 20 years, so we've seen sort of generation after generation of um, innovation. Uh, you know, back in the 90s, it was predominantly Nobel and Unix, mini computers and mainframes still. Uh, you know, we progressed into, you know, quite a, a significant leap forward. And as Peter was talking about today, we're facing the next 10 years around artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, uh, things like this. I think for me though, I think, uh, and we have been talking about this on the exec team and so forth about the MSPs. When we started in uh, sort of mid to late 90s, you know, you could actually really understand who your competitors were. There's probably 20, 30, maybe 50. Now there are probably 5,000 competitors and more and more MSPs. So I think the challenge is still the one that you have to think about is what do you want to be? Who are you going to be moving forward? What are you going to stand for? And when people look at your brand, what are they going to associate you to? Because you're going to be competing against people who have the same kind of supporting technologies, whether that's Autotask, ConnectWise, SolarWinds, you know, there's, there's maybe 10 or 12 global sort of platforms, PSAs and monitoring tech, tech, technologies. So, so ultimately, you're going to have the same kind of platform services and so forth that everybody else is. So you're going to have to really decide about where you want to be and how you're going to enjoy working uh, in your MSP. So you're going to have to pick in a, a, a technology sector or some kind of specialism that really sets you apart from all the other couple of thousand MSPs that are currently exist in the UK and globally. And that's the other thing as well is, you know, Brexit's going to happen next year. And we have to think global, not just UK anymore. So, you know, they're the opportunities. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because I have a slightly different perspective. I'm not an MSP in the way that a lot of you are. 
Um, but my clients obviously have MSPs who support their systems. And one of the biggest frustrations that my clients have is that their MSPs don't understand their business. So when they have a problem, they can't prioritise what's an important issue from a non-important issue. So they find that, you know, if computers gone down, if that computer may only do one particular function, but that function is absolutely critical to that client to keep operational. But the MSP doesn't see that because they don't understand what that business actually does. And I think for the future of the MSP, that is one of the areas where we really have to wrap our heads around client work. It's, it's workflow. What does that business actually do? What does their industry need them to do? What's their terminology? How can we talk to them on their terms, not our terms, and take it away from the, the technical speak and really turn it into a business conversation? And the thing is, there are so many opportunities for everybody around that. Because if you can have a business conversation, not a technical conversation, you get the ear of the senior people. And one of the biggest problems that we have is that we don't get our airtime in the boardroom. So whether it's a small company that's owned and managed, whether it's a big company with a board of directors, with a management team, if we can't talk to them about their business issues and how we can help them solve those issues through the use of technology, we're missing out. We're messing out on a whole big opportunity to sell more products, to become more sticky, I think. I think Tracy's got a great point. I'm going to jump in with something there because I want to ask the panel specifically about automation and AI. So I saw a, a very cool tool from a company called Upstream, a distributor based out of Sweden recently, and they've produced essentially a chat tool where I, um, clients and users can actually send their requests to a chatbot and say, hey, my printer doesn't work, can you fix it? My Office 365 password that's expired, can you, you know, can you rearrange it? So I think this goes back to something you were saying earlier on, this, and, and Tracy was just mentioning. The skills that the IT staff have got at the moment, they are going to become replaceable. Surely it's the, the age of the robots, isn't it? I mean, you know, AI is going to be able to take over these sort of roles. So further to Tracy's point, or perhaps Chris Wood, what does it look like? What are the staff you're going to be looking like in the next sort of 10 years? What skills are they going to have? Um, and I think, yeah, that's a great point, and linking back to what Tracy was saying, and, and one of the things I'm finding in my business is I've spent the last few years working diligently, uh, under the advice of, you know, professional coaches such as yourself, Richard, you know, advising me that what I need to do is get out of working in my business uh, so that I can work on the business, and, and sort of having successfully done that. I've then found that actually the team that I've got don't have the sort of business skills that you're talking about. So I've now sort of reinserted myself back into the business to go and have those sort of conversations with the client. Um, and I, that's fine, I can sort of do that. Um, uh, I, but, but then I'm coming up with, with things like, so, so a client of mine said, hey, you know, love all this Office 365 stuff. Um, problem is, you know, it just seems like a whole bunch of, you know, different things. And, you know, how, how do we actually use it? You know, how, where do we start? How do we deploy? Uh, Microsoft Teams, or use this planner function, or you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, 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 great, you know, great opportunity. Come back to the office. And I'm literally sitting there thinking, I do not know how to who to pass this task to in the in, in the team. So I've got actions sitting on my list uh, that I'm that I'm facing up to the fact that I'm either going to have to do them myself, um, or I'm going to have to throw it throw one of my guys in the deep end. And how does that make you feel? really nervous uh, uh, around how, you know, or do I tell a customer we can't help them? And then they'll go and find someone else. And is that a problem? Is that, you know, is, should, should we be doing that sort of enablement stuff with the products like Office 365 or Google Suite or whatever it is that we're doing? Um, or should we just stick to what we know, the infrastructure stuff, like keeping the lights on, keeping the network running and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think for me, that's, that's the conundrum uh, around, and, and I think picking up on what you were saying, Ian, around specialising, um, you know, how you know how does that look like? So, so I totally appreciate the two points you guys are making. I just don't know how I get from A to B when it feels like we're going down a hill at 70 miles an hour uh, and, and I've now got to change the, the wheel without stopping the car. So Perry, I know you've done a grand job of extracting yourself from the business. Do you have that same sort of frustration where you get drawn back into doing stuff that only you can do? Yeah, I do, and, but a lot of that will come from ego as well, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it is, and there is a great session from a, a good friend of mine that is going to talk about this later today. But 
you will always, I think, get sucked back into the business somewhere. And what Chris is talking about is true. You'll start becoming the consultant again, the, the advisor of, of the business operations as opposed to the technical. I, I disagree that the whole staff there will, will be redundant. There, there, there will always be a need for an infrastructure. There will always be a need for, for that to happen, even if it is to facilitate the business operations. Um, but it will be diminished. Uh, I, I fully agree with many people that are sitting on this panel that you look five, five years forward, it will be entirely different. If we, we sit on this, this stage or people sit on this stage and start talking about blockchain, AI, virtual reality, is it going to impact my business right now? Not directly, it's not something I, I can fully embrace and say, yes, it's what, what I'm going to sell. But the vendors and the, the manufacturers and the developers will absolutely bring that into service or product that will affect my life, it will affect all my clients' life. So my business will operate around machine learning, AI. It does now with, with various security vendors that they employ machine learning as you even sells machine learning, right? It's, it's out there and it's impacting our business now. Fast forward to five years, wow. So we've talked a little bit about technology. Um, let's talk about the human aspect of it. And I'm going to jump to you, Ian. So uh, more and more in the world, I'm seeing that employees don't actually want to be employees anymore. They want to freelance. You know, I've got a team of virtual assistants around me. I've got people sat in the audience who I work with. They are professionals. They do a great job. I don't do performance reviews with them. Don't do any of the employee stuff. And that's what they want. Um, how difficult are you going to find it to I was going to say hire, but um, build relationships and retain that type of speciality staff going forward. So um, I, I think for us, you know, obviously, I think you've got to embrace these things. I think you've ignored them. You know, this gig economy is exciting, isn't it? And I talked, you know, just mentioned it before, the fact that we have to think about trading uh, globally, not just in the UK. Um, the technologies that are being uh, implemented globally will allow us to do that. So we're talking about Microsoft Azure, we're talking about hybrid uh, cloud computing, we're talking about Office 365. These allow us to then disengage from being on-premise and having that sort of requirement to be geographically placed near to where the systems need supporting. And I think it's a huge opportunity then to relook at the resourcing that you've got within your own business and then not naturally just think, well, I'm going to replace that for a like-for-like -like person. It may be a great opportunity for you to relook at your business and reach out to the gig economy or to reach out to partnerships and collaboration with other partners. We discussed it actually on a yesterday. <coughs> there are some 200, 300, but if you look at CompTIA worldwide, there's something like 4,000 members. Why don't we look within ourselves, within the CompTIA membership, to see if there's any resource uh, sort of uh, capability within our um, sort of community globally and I think it's a global thing that we have to think about. I think it's a huge opportunity for us. Can I just jump in as well, Richard, because it's that when the conversation is, is about how it affects the MSP, but you're kind of losing sight of the fact that your customers' businesses are under threat. Um, so like if you've built up an MSP business where you're maybe say architects as your and this is just an example. So you, you look after architects. Well, if your architects aren't moving with the technology that's out there, they're going to lose their business to other architects who are. So so now I'm building a house and normally I'd go to the architect who lives down the road. Now I can go online and get an architect in Sweden, you know. Um, and if you're not advising your customers how they can defend their, their turf with the technologies out there, then you'll wake up someday and you'll have no customers because their businesses will have folded. So while you say AI and all of this is not relevant to my business now, you need to be getting ahead of it because you need to be telling your customers this is how you protect your business. And I think that's important. That's a great point and we've actually had um, thank you to Andy and David who have asked virtually the same question so you've done a much better job of paraphrasing the question than I can. Tracy, how do you help your customers um, I'm going to say many of your customers perhaps really don't care what the technology is, they just want it to work. How, yeah. do, you, how do you help them to understand what they need going forward? Really by just getting inside their business. So we work very much sort of from a ground level up, working with people. So at the end of every computer there's a human being. And it's understanding what that human being needs to do to get their job done. 
how well they can do that job, what they're afraid of, because when it comes to tech, you know, people, there are still a lot of people who are very afraid of change, they're very afraid of technology. And talking about new uh, technologies like artificial intelligence, like the, the fact that you can just pop a question into a chat box on the screen and get an answer for it, actually there's a step back that needs to be taken before that, which is understanding how people think. And it's understanding how they're going to react to a change in the way that they interact with you as an organisation. And a lot of people are still dealing with people because they like them. And that will always be the case. People buy from people who are like them. People work with people who are like them because it's about the relationship side of it. So technology for its own sake will, will never work. It's never been proven to work. It has to be something where there is some element of human interaction still as part of that process. So, you know, we, we look at that human side of it a lot more than we look at the technology side of it. But we'll understand what people need to do what they're not likely to do because, you know, you look at projects, you look at the NHS, for example, and some of the big failed projects that they've implemented. They've been very systems-led, they've been very much, it's all about the technology, and not enough about the people, and why are people going to change? What's going to make them change? Why, why on earth should they do it? Why should they use a new system? What's it going to do for them? And unless you understand that, you'll never get a lot of change because you don't get the buy-in. So we talked to a lot of people at very much ground level about what are their fears, what are their insecurities, what do they need to do, how can we help them along that journey to make it a safe place for them to understand how technology fits into their daily life cycle. I think that makes a lot of sense and I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of sessions later on. Um, Mark Matthews, where are you Mark? <coughs> so you've been through an, an incredible amount of change with your MSP business based in Bromsgrove, haven't you? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think when we talk about helping our clients to adapt as well, we've got to look internally. We've got to see how we're going to handle change. So uh, Mark's got a session coming up uh, after this one on business with a good culture. And Mike Bruner later on is talking about innovative ways to build up the workforce, which I think addresses a lot of the points um, that we talked about here. Question from the audience. Yeah, go ahead, please go ahead, Chris. Can I jump in? Because um, I really get what you're saying, and it sounds brilliant, but, but. But, <laughs> but I probably only have some of the skills that you're talking about. And, and I'm, you know, going back to my point, my staff, my current staff, don't have any of those skills in terms of, you know, we don't, I don't know how you go about engaging really. I don't know how, how, how I would go about engaging with my clients at that sort of level about having those sort of conversations. It's not an area that I'm, it's like way outside of my comfort zone. You know, so how, you know, have you got any practical advice to actually, you know, to, to help me and maybe some of the other people in the room? That's a very good question. Yeah, I think the first thing is be nosy, just be inquisitive. Um, but it is about, there's always the problem with technical staff, isn't there, as to whether or not you could actually put them in front of a customer and they could talk to that customer and have a sensible conversation or the, the customer will go, what? Um, and I think soft skills development is a big area where we're going to see a lot of development in the tech sector because we've got a lot of technical staff who are very, very clever, they're very good at what they do, but they're not necessarily good at communicating, asking questions, interrogating people to an extent, but they're your best unofficial sales force as well because they're the people who they don't have that same relationship. You go in as an account manager and the client will think, okay, well, you've come in to sell me something. Whereas when a technician goes in, it's you're here to solve my problem. So they don't have that same brick wall of defense up against you. But it's trying to leverage that. So it's giving people soft skills training. Um, it's showing them how to question, how systems work, but also taking them outside of just the pure technical area. So. People have networks to run applications that help their business work more efficiently. And it's understanding what those applications do. You know, I come across a lot of MSPs, we, we're Sage resellers, a lot of MSPs support Sage platforms, but they don't understand Sage. So whenever there's a Sage problem, it takes forever for that help desk to sort it out because they can't speak to Sage because they're not Sage resellers. Obviously, they can't speak to the client because the client's got the problem and you've got to solve it. And it goes round and round and round in circles. You help desk staff get really frustrated and the client gets really frustrated. So I think understanding that end user application will go a long way to helping that transition. But it is a slightly different skill set. And it, it's understanding their soft skills. I think 
there, there, there has to be a point of business owners with this. There are some points where, from an engineering point of view, a technician, that you can only teach them so much soft skills. There, there, there is a limit in, in their, their ability. They, they have a skill set, and it's not always particularly client-facing. And, and I agree, everyone is a salesperson in your business, and they should be trained to be so, because they're representing your brand and, and your message. But there is always a limit to um, a, a technical person of how you're going to get, get them to elevate their soft skill and, yeah. and, and then deliver you, You're absolutely right, you're quite yeah. right. The interesting thing I think is uh, back in the 1980s, back end of the 1980s, I worked for an Olivetti distributor. Um, and we actually, we were sort of an MSP in those early days. So we put Unix systems in, we put PCNet, MSNet, horrible. Um, early uh, basic networking systems in. But we were structured so that we had an engineering department, we had a training department, we had a support department, and we had a sales team. So I sat in training and, and support, but we worked really closely with the engineers. So all we had were just slightly different departments that kind of overlapped, but didn't do all the same things. So the technical guys, you're quite right, their skill set is very different to training, to doing support, to doing implementation work. But we work really closely with them. So they'd install the network, we'd go in and do the configuration, we'd do the training, we'd do the support. And then we had the pre-sales role as well. So we went out with the sales guys um, and they would say, you know, well, this system can do this. And I sit there and think, no, it can't. But, you know, we'd work with them uh, in those different roles to make sure that it works. What surprises me now is most MSPs don't have anything to do with training. They're, they are purely technical. So I think adding that training onto it is a really, really good way of getting that skill set in there. So if we came back to Chris's comment at the beginning, there, there will be a point where Chris's staff uh, rotate, you know, the people he has there now aren't going to be the mm -hmm. same people in two, maybe even two or three years' time. Therefore, as businesses, we've got to start preparing ourselves for that, and we've got to start bringing either external virtual assistants to keep economy, or we've absolutely got to change our workforce. And that's frightening, well, it's frightening for me, certainly. So it's, I think all of us would be looking for, well, when do we do it? How do we feel that that's the right time to do it? And because we know it's coming, we know there is a change. I, I firmly believe within the internal meetings we have that our business is not going to be the same business in three years' time we will be more consultative, we will be more educational, and that's that's where I need to start prepping. And I'm with you, I look at our staff team, they're technical, we, we've been born out of a technical business, so we learn to sell because you have to survive, but we're, we're technical, so it, it worries me as much as probably all you guys out there as well. Can I just quickly add, um, there is that, but um, again, I'm a real passionate person around about partnerships and collaboration, and a real life case study that we're working on at the moment is we've got a really good customer. Um, and they've been with us now for about nine years. But they would openly admit that they're one of the same kind of customers that would struggle to increase their IT budget year after year. It comes under pressure. Uh, the financial department's uh, asking them to, to lose, not lose money, but to, to reduce their spend. And it's very, very difficult for them to engage with the business and, and talk about how they can actually improve things from an IT perspective if the business itself doesn't want to spend money on IT itself. So we've had evidence now this year, uh, we've engaged with a consultancy firm that's non-competitive to us and they talk about digital transformation and one customer that was spending around about £200,000 a year, year on year on, and about 70% of that with us from an IT perspective. And every year it was the same kind of conversation. It was like, you know, just technical type upgrades to PCs, laptops, servers, this kind of thing. We brought in this consultancy firm and they've unlocked a million pounds worth of spend for the next three years. It's unheard of, but they sat with the business. They consulted with the business about where do you want to be in the next three years, the next five years. And if you want to achieve this, then you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And to this company, it was their new membership system, it was their CRM, it was talking about cloud innovation, it was talking about collaboration, it was talking about growing the membership, because uh, they're a membership type uh, based business. And they extend the erosion of membership, uh, and, and it started to increase slightly. 
but they'd over years, they were about 40, 50 years old membership organization, and they'd seen their membership half in that time, and now it's starting to grow again. But they needed to be able to engage better with the membership and offer more digital um, uh, sort of connectivity and, and enablement. And how you do that, and then obviously they had this consultants come in. So I would say to anyone in the MSP uh, community is reach out to consultancy firms like, uh, like Tracy Pounds, Maximity, and all of those other businesses that are more consultative and are not in a competitive scenario. Well, that's a I'm absolutely fascinated by this. My MSP business was built off the back of, of collaboration, not just with consultative businesses, but with you know, competitors. Who in the room in the last 12 months who runs an MSP business has collaborated with another IT business to deliver service or projects? So I'd, I'd say maybe about a third of the room. I'd say for the, for the other two thirds of the room, you're in a perfect situation here. You're in a room full of people who are much better than you at something. Voice over IP, SharePoint, Sage, um, cabling, lots of different things. So there's an opportunity there, isn't there, to have a conversation and, and to, to do work that you otherwise wouldn't be able to deliver for clients. Most definitely. Uh, what Chris was saying, you know, it's really, uh, really good to, to be honest as well in this, uh, in this community. And that's what I like about CompTIA. The fact that we can openly admit that maybe we're not quite ready to, to do this transition right now and we're still on this journey of learning. But there are companies out there equally who are wanting to win business. And so for us, this consultancy company, to them, that was a huge opportunity for them to walk into a million pound contract for the next three years, which is all professional services. And, and it's going to lead on to other opportunities for them because then they're going to have a really good case study to move on to other opportunities. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's a win-win situation for everyone. So I'm going to change the questions up a little bit here. So one of the reasons you asked me to host this is, you know, I'm a massive geek. I run a podcast talking about emerging technologies for MSPs. I want to talk about the tech a little bit and the tech that makes us feel uncomfortable. So I was reading a statistic that we now, um, in 2017, all of us as adults, not just millennials, all of us as adults spend 5.9 hours per day on the internet on mobile devices. So I'm going to start out with you, Janet. How, are, how is your business uh, equipping people to be able to do business with you via mobile? Um, I would say we're not, we're not brilliant at it um, because I suppose traditionally our products would have been um, looked after by people who are sitting at you know, support desks. So they're, they're looking at those lights that you talk about. Um, and we haven't envisaged a time where that work would be done by somebody you know, with an app. So I would put my hand up and say it's, it's, we haven't really sort of moved the dial too much on that one. What about marketing then? And I'll come back to, to all of you to ask about mobile, but marketing, the spend on marketing is massively lagging behind, sorry, the spend on mobile marketing is massively lagging behind the adoption of uh, mobile. What are you doing about reaching people via mobiles? And this is a question for all of you, but first of all for you, Jack, as a, as a vendor. Well, I suppose, again, um, it's, it's back to sort of the kind of marketing that we do and how do we best reach our customers. Um, and we're, I suppose, mobile isn't a big part of our marketing spend at the minute. Um, maybe it should be, um, but it's not at the moment. Um, and again, it, I mean, one of the things that I would say around, around the marketing piece is that it's like, and it's something that I hear people saying a lot here, and, it, and I think it's a big problem, is, is how, how you define your business and how you define what it is you do. And, and I think that people in this room take a very narrow view of what they do. And if you ask people and you say, well, what is it you do? They say, oh, I look after IT for companies in the greater Manchester area. And, and I think, well, if you, if you define yourself that narrowly, then you're going to be pigeonholed. Because Chris said, like, 10 years ago, you were on the cutting edge, you were changing businesses, and now you're looking after the IT. Um, and I think it's how you define yourself. Um, and I think that that's where the marketing challenge is, is to, is to, is to get MSPs to step back and say, actually, what we do is we, we make companies more profitable, more efficient by using technology. Um, and I think if you accept that, then you embrace the new technologies. Um, and I think that's, that's the challenge for us you know, as marketeers as well. So. Mm -hmm. Perry, for instance, um, email marketing. You use email marketing at Urban Networks. What we do, we've, um, we've backed out of a lot of it, to be honest. And okay, that's interesting. Why have you backed out? Uh, the, the return on it, the uptake is quite low. Um, uh, we've even discussed actually trying to go to 
postal. So the people receive the letter, they open that letter because they don't receive it that often. Um, there, there's the joke around sender facts because no one did that little box that sits in the window they've forgotten about. They will pick something up from it. Um, we've, we've predominantly moved into the more social environments of trying to do more inbound marketing. It's, it's slower, um, if I'm honest with you, you have to pick the right channels. We, we put across all of the, the social streams and are now starting to narrow it because we feel that you just, although the activity is there, you're not getting any, any return back from it, you're not getting the engagement you need. So you have to pick and choose where, where you work and it is about measuring, it's, a, it's about learning, it's human learning, it's, it's reporting on the data that you're getting back. Um, Anybody on the panel using Facebook bots at the moment? Not a user, anybody in the audience using Facebook bots or marketing? Wow, one or two. Okay, so there's a company um, that, that I know based out in Newcastle, their email open, to open rates were something around 5%, which, you know, is put. They're using Facebook bots, the preferred methods of their target audience, and then they get now getting 98% open rates. So if you think things like, you know, Facebook bots is, is a, you know, a throwaway idea, Absolutely not. You know, people are being delivered to the content they want in the format they want. Um, what other types of marketing have you seen out there? Modern types of marketing. You mentioned social. What's working for you at the moment? And I, I know Perry, you're using social, so perhaps we'll ask the, the rest of the panel. What are you using in terms of getting out there in front of social the media? Um, what, does it, what does it look like for you then? Um, we use Facebook. We use Twitter. Um, we do a bit on LinkedIn, but probably not enough on LinkedIn. We don't do anything on Instagram um, at the minute. It, you know, it, it's hard, I think, marketing is. It's a really tough one when you're an owner-managed business and you're a small business. Um, and it's finding the time to do it. You know, social media takes up such a lot of time to think up the right words to put out there that have meaning, that are likely to get people's attention and the right images that go with it. And doing that across different social media platforms so that it's interesting for your audience and doing it regularly and consistently is really, really tough. When we now work with an external marketing consultant and she's helping massively. Um, so we just sort of feed her, you know, Sue's doing this today, I'm doing this today, we're out here, we're working on this. And she'll help by building us, and well, this is what you need to post each day, this is where you need to put it, and then Julie puts those posts up for me. So that's starting to have more of an engagement, but it takes a long time to build that engagement up, because people see it and they think, well, okay, so what? And marketing is really, really tough. And, and, you know, you ask that question about what do we do from a mobile point of view. Well, I've got a website. Is that sufficient? No, probably not. But we, we have a mobile responsive website, but it's, it's trying to think of where do your customers go? Where, where are my customers? What are they going to look at? And a lot of our marketing is still face-to-face. -face. We, we do a lot of networking. Okay. So I think you've answered this question from the audience, but I'm going to ask it to, to you, Crystal, next. Um, it's from Daniel, Daniel Dainty. He said, what do they find is the most effective way to bring you into business? Um, E.g. referral, um, LinkedIn targeting, marketing, SEO, PPC, etc. What's the number one thing that you can do without a Vermont in terms of marketing? What's, what's the one thing? The one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one thing is uh, there is no one thing. Um, you know, referrals are great, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people in the room have, have grown their business, you know, to a point through referrals. The problem with referrals is that, and it depends on what your ambition for your business is, I would say, um, the referrals will only get you so far, uh, and at a certain point you've got to build systems to bring in, uh, you know, opportunities for you. And I, and I think, you know, my view on this whole digital stuff is, it's like, it's like the Emperor's New Clothes. Um, and sorry if anyone works in digital marketing, I'm happy to debate that with you uh, later on. But, but it's, uh, it has a purpose, it has a role as part of it, but I think Jana, you know, you know is, is the smartest person I've ever talked to. Uh, around this because like every time someone like she just did it before you know you asked her a question about what technology she's using and she says no no, no it goes back to what you're doing as a business what problem you're solving and, and who you're solving it for and so you can waste so much money on adwords and facebook ads and all this sort of crap where, and without ever thinking about those basic questions that Janet asked and, and sort of three years ago i you know my view of martin was it was like a mixture of you know voodoo magic and downright lying and, um, uh, you know, as a person who comes from a technical background, that's sort of how I felt about it. Um, but I made it my business 
uh, or you know, my sort of, you know, to, 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 to learn, to become a student of it. Um, and, and so if there is a one thing, it's that you have to do that. Like as Tracy said, it's really not, not easy uh, to do it, but you've got to build, uh, you know, systems that go, you know, use different medias to, to get your message, whatever that message is, which is around the value proposition you've got to the people you've got. So, so I'll tell you what, you know, so we generate three uh, sales meetings a week um, from the marketing processes we use. Uh, and, and I can tell you a couple of tips that we have learned uh, is that and none of them are technology related. So, so the most effective thing they're getting to speak to a decision maker uh, is sending them something through the post. And uh, you know, worked brilliantly. Uh, we got our decision maker conversation rate up from uh, from around about sort of eight or nine percent uh, up to seventy five percent through through the package that we send through the post and to the, to, to people before we do that. Um, we do uh, a lot of seminars. Um, with around cybercrime with Hampshire Police, um, which has been brilliant, and we've had uh, we've spoken to over two hundred business leaders over the last twelve months uh, through that platform, and um, so sort of separating you know out into that sort of thought leader, and then the final one, and I and I get this a lot, you know, people tell me that uh, that, that telesales is dead, that it's like old fashioned, it's for dinosaurs, people hate it, and you've got to get online and do it all. I just think it's total crap. Uh, you know, f f forgive me, but but my stats say that it's not. Uh, and and we had this discussion yesterday in in our executive council. So Estelle, you know, sent sent a survey around to the Comptier community, and the response rate's horribly low. And we were all sort of shuffling a little bit and looking at our feet because none of us had filled in the survey uh, either. And, and and because the tension is so hard, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like you know, you're getting bombarded by messages. And so when we when we're inviting people to our seminars, we send out invites by paper, by email, etc. And, and we get a few people filling it in, but not many. But then we phone them and say, hey, did you get the invite? Oh yeah, yeah, I was interested in that actually. And ask a couple of questions. And so yeah, I was gonna I was gonna um, sign up, but you know, for whatever reason they didn't, and so we offered to sign them up there and then. And that's what gets them in. And it's the same with booking appointments to come out and talk to them. We can send them stuff and they're interested, and they're engaging with our content online and stuff. We do do a lot of that sort of stuff. But getting a meeting booked, like we've absolutely got to phone them. So, so I think that that sort of, we call it inside sales, but you know, telemarketing, telesales, appointment setting, whatever it is, you know, I think uh, is totally crucial component of any marketing strategy. So Rob, asks, uh, uh, Rob Gibbons asks a really good question here. Um, actually, let me, let me pose this as a question to you, audience. Who here would say that their main source of new business is through referrals? Okay, keep your hand up, those of you who have actively asked to apply for a referral in the last two weeks. Yeah, so I, I come across lots of MSPs who say, oh yeah, we do business through word of mouth, but they never actually go out and um, um, ask for those referrals. So I think it comes back to some of the, the older uh, methods of doing business, but they can be systemized, emphasized, can't they? So I want to move on in the last few minutes to talk about systems specifically. Tracy, I'm looking at you. You are the systems lady. Um, we had a conversation last night that I had to pick up on, and it was sort of going into the world of AI and automation and things. And we were basically, and this is me paraphrasing, if the system's crap, the AI is going to be crap. Explain. <laughs> Thank you. My exam question for the morning. Um, yeah, I think for, for AI to work well, it has to be founded on something that works well. So you've got to have your processes right first. And a lot of businesses don't understand their own processes. They don't have them written down. They don't have them structured. They're in their head, which is fine to an extent, and it's fine for growth up to a certain point. But if you really want to grow rapidly, or you want to grow in a big way and a sustainable way, you have to have those processes buttoned down. Not to make them inflexible, but just so that people have a consistent approach to the way that they work. Um, I'm sure AI, you know, it's a new, it's emerging tech for a reason, isn't it? It's something that hasn't really touched us much in our world right now, but it has the capacity to going forward. And I'm going to get this in because it's going to roll you. In the IT industry outlook, it is one of the emerging te tech trends. It is artificial intelligence and data insights. It's where we want to go as businesses, as people, as consumers, as retail. All sectors want more information about the way that their customers work so that they can better target new business in the right direction. And we all want to be able to do that in our own way. So AI and data are going to be big trends going forward. 
but we have to have the core processes buttoned down underneath it, otherwise they're not going to work that well. But AI, I guess, because of what it is, it's self-learning. So it might well be able to overcome some of the problems that we have with processes. So when Peter was talking about, you know, the, the steel manufacturer and how do you optimise the waste to make sure that that waste can then be reused later on in the process, that kind of solution is totally technically led. A person could have sorted that out, but they haven't. But AI has. So AI might well come into play where we have serious problems with processes, with workflows, to solve them itself. They've been very polite on stage. I should say at the bar last night, not so polite, and you just got a little <laughs> glimpse into uh, the friction that we're in there. So we're coming up to the uh, to the end of our time here. So thank, thanks for everyone here. I, I'm going to close by asking you each one question, and that would be what. Um, what would you say was true to you when you started out in your career that you look back on now and think is an absolute load of other rubbish? Ian, I'll start with you. <laughs> what was true then that isn't true now? What was, yeah, okay, so I think uh, I, I sort of alluded to it. So in the 90s, uh, it was golden for the IT industry. It was groundbreaking and it was probably the best sectors outside of being a footballer kind of environment because it was like money to so like a license to print money it was an amazing time to get into it and i think that's not true right now but i think we're coming back into uh, an environment which is truly groundbreaking and exciting with ai and blockchain technologies and uh, sort of machine learning and all that kind of stuff and we've recently embarked on a journey with uh, uh, Birmingham University, I'm going to reach out to Aston University as well because they're part of the uh, Big Data Corridor uh, program. And we've started a journey on artificial intelligence for our uh, cybersecurity platform that we've developed. So it's exciting times and uh, we're really looking forward to the future. Okay, um, kind of looking something really profound and I don't, didn't have enough time to go up with something. But I remember my first job, I, I remember being shown a fax and thinking it was magic. Mm -hmm. I could not understand how you put a document in there and it would appear on the other side of the world. And I still have that appreciation for technology. Um, but because I come from a commercial background, I see that technology is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. And, and I think that that's what you need to do in your business. You say, look at your customers and say, well, what is it they're trying to achieve? And maybe the way they're doing it right now is complete rubbish and we can do it a better way. And if you can do that for your customers, then you'll never be out of work. And the technology you, you use to implement that may change radically, but you will still be relevant. And that, that's what it's about. My first job was way back in 1984. And I started out as a programmer writing software for estate agents. And the guy who started that company was a jeweler. So he had no idea as most people didn't back then, because it really was a new industry starting up, he had no idea how to run that company. And I think he'd seen, as you said, it, you know, it, it's the opportunity to make a quick buck. And his view, honestly, was that he could make a lot of money very quickly by setting up a, an IT company, writing software, and off it would go, and it'd be you know, this, this huge like, global company in a few years' time. It went bust within two years. And I think, the biggest lesson from that is you can't make a quick buck out of tech. It's here for the long run. It has the ability to really transform the way that an end user business works, but it's not something that you can't keep investing in. It, it is constant change. We see new technologies coming out all the time. You can't stand still with it, otherwise you lose your competitive advantage. So people need to understand that need to invest, and I don't think they did back then at all. I'm going to be very quick because I still quite meanly. Um, so my, my my belief when when I first went into business was work for yourself, manage to get some staff around you, and life would be easy. Wouldn't have to work. I could spend time on the golf course. You know, life would be great. That's absolutely not the truth in any way, shape, or form. The more staff you get, the, the harder business becomes. <clears throat> if you feel that you can step out of it, um, you learn very quickly that that's not the case and you need to continually manage and nurture that business and the staff within it. Um, it's a tough and cool lesson to learn. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that when, you know when I started uh, the business ten years ago, uh, I thought you know I knew IT uh, and that was enough. If we were just great at what we did. But actually, having sort of grown into a certain size, it's actually not about me understanding technology at all. It's about me understanding how to grow a business, how to run a business, how to nurture staff, how to create an environment where they can thrive, how to do all of those other you know sales marketing, etc. Uh, and, and, and for me, that's what I need. You know, it's a big lesson I've learned. Super, thank you all for your time. Um, everybody, thank you for all the brilliant questions you sent in. The number one question, ridiculously, was Richard, are you wearing your Comptia socks? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders, over at www tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. Every review helps us reach new listeners and helps raise the bar for success in the IT industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next episode. Have a great day. G'day, Nigel Moore from the Tech Tribe here again. Now, I hope you enjoyed the episode and there were some rockin' takeaways to go and implement in your business. You are going to implement them, right? Good. So, I promised at the beginning of the episode to give you the super quick pitch on what the Tech Tribe is and why you should come and join us. I created the Tech Tribe because it breaks my tech geek heart when I see good people struggling to run their IT support business, especially because that used to be me. Although the good person part is quite debatable, the struggle part was very real for many years. And in a nutshell, I created the Tech Tribe to help MSPs like myself back then get access to the tools, templates, training, and resources that I wish. I had when I was traveling my MSP journey. Plus, it's all backed up with a supportive community and expert coaching from not only me, but from the fearless host of this podcast, Sir Richard Tubby himself, who is one of our tribal elders. Now, instead of me babbling on more about why you should join us, I thought I'd read out two quick notes from some of the hundreds of MSPs already inside our tribe. First up from Tom, great dude from the United States. He says, I've been in Nigel's tech tribe for almost a year now, best investment I've made to date. And secondly, from Chris, one of our Aussie tribers who says, your energy tools, techniques, tips, and recommendations have proven invaluable. And whilst I'm not making millions yet, things are on the up and up. Please keep up the good work. So if you want to join the tribe and get access to all of the juicy goodness, simply head on over to thetechtribe.com slash tubtalk and check out the super duper special deal for tubtalk listeners only. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.